You're listening to Good Hustle, a podcast about bad teams. I'm Andrew Mackey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Good Hustle, a podcast about bad teams. You know, I just want to say thank you to everyone who subscribes to the channel and for giving us a listen. Each week, we seem to be doubling the listener numbers, and I can't tell you how much that means to me. Thank you to everyone that has given us a five-star review on Apple. We now have enough reviews to show up in searches, so thanks for the assist. If you don't mind, please keep referring the show to your friends. I really do think it's the best way to get people into a show. I know that's how I've gotten into many of the podcasts on my list. So there was some news in the NBA during the week, and I would like to give you all some hope. It's not a thing that Good Hustle is known for, but in the wake of all of this Golden State Warriors starting five All-Stars from last season, I would like to give you some hope. I'm coming to you in a time of deep need, NBA fan. I'm reaching out my hand to offer you the story of great expectations, high pressure, and ultimately, unmitigated disaster. Not all super teams work. In fact, some are terrible. We're going to follow a recipe for disaster. Starting with a strong-headed, shoot-first, all-time great shooting guard, at a quieter accessory, a coach who wants to prove he can do the job on his own terms, and let's sprinkle in a potentially generational talent who has been a bit of a head case up to this point in a contract year who's going to want to make as much money and get as much attention as he possibly can. Now, we're going to drop this mixture into Los Angeles so there's the maximum attention of the basketball world. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode four of Good Hustle, the 2012-2013 Los Angeles Lakers. Chapter one, friends can come and go, but banners hang forever. The league-wide opinion was that the Lakers were pretty good from the season before. They had finished the previous year with a talented roster led by a Hall of Fame talent in Kobe Bryant. They had won the Pacific Division and had the third best record in the incredibly tough Western Conference. The NBA was coming off a shortened season because of a lockout. The Lakers had finished 41-25 and the year previous. They had lost in the playoffs to the Oklahoma City Thunder and were looking to get back into that championship race. They were good, but good isn't what the Lakers franchise is known for. In LA, they hang banners in their rafters. They celebrate greatness. So they went hunting for some difference makers. The first person on that list was Dwight Howard. It took a four-team trade to bring Howard to Los Angeles. Howard was a six-time NBA All-Star, a five-time first-team All-NBA center, and the three-time reigning Defensive Player of the Year. Howard is one of the NBA's most dynamic players. He's just 27 when he joins the Lakers, so he should be entering his prime coming into this season. Howard was next in line of the great Laker dynastic big men. George Mikan, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal. Soon, Howard would be starring at center stage for the Lakers. But Howard was a free agent after this season. The Lakers had traded for him knowing this and were hoping that they could keep him. But Howard had annoyed lots of fans with his antics in Orlando. The season before, on April 5th, 2012, when Howard was in Orlando, his coach Stan Van Gundy held a press conference to confirm a report that was circulating that Howard wanted him fired. 
As soon as he stood before the assembled media, Van Gundy said he was, quote, uncomfortable with BS, and that he knew Howard had requested to team management to get him fired. When it comes out that one of the highest profile guys in the league has asked for his coach to be fired, it's gonna be a story, Van Gundy said. Here's where things get weird. Moments later, Howard would come next to Van Gundy and say, yes, yeah, Stan, but we're not worried about that, right? That's just what I said, Van Gundy replied, taking a sip from a drink he was holding. We've got to be worried about winning games. Think about how weird this must be. Keep in mind, too, that Van Gundy is not a particularly tall man. He's a short, rotund guy. Howard, seven feet tall, mountain of muscle. So after Van Gundy replies, worrying about winning games, Howard says, well, what's our main concern right now? After which he puts his big arm around Stan Van Gundy. It's almost like being caught saying something bad about somebody and then trying to pretend like it didn't happen. Only it did happen. It happened at a press conference and everyone knows that you're the person responsible for it. Van Gundy would be fired by the Magic less than two months later. By the end of the summer, Orlando was fed up with Howard and they shipped him to Los Angeles, even though he was the franchise's best player in almost 10 years. The Magic would deny that Howard was a consideration in the firings, but here we are. The franchise is still rebuilding, and Howard is now a Laker. Sports Illustrated said about this potential one-year one with Los Angeles and Dwight Howard, quote, Howard is a free agent after the end of this season, which means next year there's a chance we might go through all of this again with basketball Hamlet. If there's one surefire motivation, beside winning a ring, of course, for these Lakers to find their chemistry and to find it fast, it's to ensure that Howard doesn't have any reason to pull his to-be-a-Laker-or-not-to-be-a-Laker stunt. Adding Howard would have been enough to make a big free agency splash, but the Lakers are the Lakers, and they weren't done. They'd also acquired a two-time former league MVP, an eight-time All-Star, including the season before. They had picked up Steve Nash, Granted, Nash is older when he joins the Lakers. He's 38. But when he joins the team, he still has great playmaking ability. Nash can pass. He doesn't need to shoot the ball. He has been first or second in the NBA in assists per game seven times in his career. He was second just the season before. The Phoenix team that Nash was leaving behind had Marcin Gortat as its leading scorer. If you don't know anything about the NBA, know that Gortat is a defensive specialist who still plays in the league, but he hasn't scored as many points per game as he did that one season that he was playing alongside Nash. If you do follow the NBA, I'm going to let you think about how good Steve Nash was that he got 15 points per game out of Marcin Gortat. An MVP caliber passing first point guard is something that Kobe Bryant, one of the all-time great shooters in NBA history, can use. He has never played with a distributor of the basketball of Nash's caliber in his entire career. Fans are expecting fireworks. So let's move on to the centerpiece of the team, Kobe Bryant. The Lakers, since the end of their early 2000s dynasty, had been led by Bryant. He was a former MVP like Nash. He had won two NBA Finals MVPs, was a 14-time All-Star heading into this season, been named to the NBA's first team 10 times, and was first-team all-defense nine times. He had a reputation as a player who needed the ball and was one of the most intense players in the history of the game. Bryant had clashed with all-time great teammate Shaquille O'Neal, which led to Shaq being sent to Miami. He had battled with his legendary head coach, Phil Jackson, the same Phil Jackson who had coached Michael Jordan to six NBA titles and Bryant himself to another five. He, too, was now gone, but Bryant remained 
the face of the Los Angeles franchise. Another centerpiece of the squad was Paul Gasol. Gasol was a versatile, dynamic Spanish power forward. If Howard was to be the Lakers' muscle in the front court, Gasol would be its finesse. A seven-foot, four-time All-Star with silky smooth moves inside to match a shooter's touch, Gasol had paired beautifully with Bryant during the Lakers' two championship seasons in 2009 and 2010. When he came over to the NBA in 2003, he was the face of the quickly developing Spanish basketball landscape. Gasol was following in the footsteps of European stars Dirk Nowitzki, Drazen Petrovic, and Tony Kukoc when he was selected third overall in the NBA draft. He was traded to the Lakers in 2008 and had been a major part of their team. Filling out the starting lineup was Meta World Peace, formerly known as Ron Artest. World Peace was a defensive specialist who had joined the team in 2009. He had won the 2004 Defensive Player of the Year Award, but was most famously known as a human stick of dynamite, who had once been suspended 86 games by the NBA, which to this day is the longest suspension for an on-court incident. World Peace was suspended for being at the center of the infamous Malice at the Palace game in 2004. With 45.9 seconds left, a fight broke out on the court between several Pistons and Pacer players. After the fight was broken up, a fan threw a drink from the stands at World Peace while he was laying on the scores table. Once he got hit with the drink, it was all over. He charged the fan. A massive fight broke out between players and spectators. It was in the stands and on the court. It lasted several minutes. After the game, the NBA would suspend nine players for a total of 146 games and had over $11 million in salary being lost due to fines. Five players were charged with assault and eventually sentenced to a year of probation and community service. The fans involved were banned from NBA games for life. It's a really ugly look for the league. But by this point in his career, he's a changed man. The Malice in the Palace game was almost nine years ago. He's now the starting small forward for the Lakers. He's a major piece of their defensive unit. He's still tenacious. He's still a tough guard. But maybe he's not charging into the crowd as much as he used to. So we've gone through the starting lineup, but who's coaching these Los Angeles Lakers? Well, it's Mike Brown of Episode 2 Cleveland Cavalier fame. No, he wasn't the coach who had to live through that season. He was the guy who was fired right after the postseason loss to the Celtics. He had taken a year off, and here he is in Los Angeles because it's hard to find coaches with NBA Finals experience to take over a marquee team. He had joined the Lakers the previous season. They had finished first in the division and made the playoffs. He was entering his second season with a newly formed roster. He had a super team, and the expectations were high. The same Sports Illustrated article that I mentioned earlier about Howard said about the upcoming season, quote, If the Lakers do all get along, and Howard plays the role of a good soldier— they're going to be a very, very difficult team to beat. This collection of all-stars is unlikely to last very long. This is as win-now a team as you could possibly build, but no one in purple and gold will care if they grab another ring this year. Their biggest enemy may be themselves. When it came to figuring out who would be the matchup in the NBA Finals, lots of preseason experts predicted that LeBron James and the Miami Heat would win the Eastern Conference. In the Finals, they would face either the young and talented Oklahoma City Thunder, a team led by stars Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, the same team that had knocked out these Lakers the year prior, or the other favorite to come out of the Western Conference, the super team in L.A. led by Kobe Bryant and his all-star supporting cast. 
Would fans finally get that LeBron-Kobe NBA Finals showdown we've been waiting for for so long? Since this is Good Hustle, a podcast about bad teams, and I'm talking to you right now about this season, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. No. No, we don't. Chapter 2 If you're afraid to fail, then you're probably going to fail. The Lakers didn't start off the best way. In fact, they were 0-8 in the preseason. But preseason games don't count, right? In the NFL, the two teams to go winless in the past 10 years, the Detroit Lions and the Cleveland Browns, both won all their preseason games. So if anything, this should be a good sign, right? But then the game started for real, and the Lakers began 1-4. Howard had back surgery in the offseason and was kind of working his way back into form. Steve Nash had missed three games, but the Lakers' management, they had seen enough. Mike Brown had to go. The team fired Brown with approximately $11 million remaining on his $18 million contract he had just signed the summer before. He's still going to get that money, so don't worry about Mike Brown. And just like in episode two, we can say goodbye to him for now. Assistant Bernie Bickerstaff would take over for five games. He got the team back on track. They'd go 4-1 and one during his brief stint. While all of this was going on, there was a media storm as to whether or not the Lakers were about to bring back Phil Jackson for a third time. Jackson in L.A. would do a bit of a strange dance about the vacancy. At the center of it was how much the Lakers were willing to pay Jackson and how many games he would actually be able to coach. Jackson had a back injury, and there was talk that if he returned, he would only be able to coach home games to avoid travel, since Jackson is a 6'8 human being with back problems. The Lakers would call Jackson, but when they called him, it was to let him know that they had chosen Mike D'Antoni to be their next head coach. Jackson was stunned, according to sources. He had been under the impression that it was, quote, his job to turn down, although no formal offer had been made to him. Reports indicated at the time that he was leaning towards accepting the offer to coach, saying that it would be impossible to say no. The Lakers thought that Mike D'Antoni, a coach known for a fast-paced, go-go-go style of offense, would best suit this team. He was hired as the new coach effective immediately. D'Antoni had most recently been the coach of the New York Knicks, so he was used to being under a microscope. He had also been the coach of the Phoenix Suns during Nash's best years, so he was used to running a shoot-first, high-tempo offense that LA fans would be excited to see. Before the season, articles had reported that Mike Brown, the old coach, was merely the team's defensive coordinator and that Kobe Bryant was running the offense. With the defensive-minded coach gone, the team was playing terrible defense, and they were struggling to run D'Antoni's new high-pace offense. It was trouble on all fronts. On January 23rd, things were looking really bad for the Lakers. They were 5th in scoring and 26th in defense. Before the game with the Memphis Grizzlies, they had a meeting. Coach D'Antoni started it by saying he was tired of reading newspaper stories about players questioning his offense or wanting more touches. Bryant said the offense needed to slow down while Howard expressed displeasure with the system. D'Antoni then told the team to stop worrying about offense and start playing better defense. He then asked players to speak up. Steve Nash went first. He said he didn't care how the Lakers played, whether it was via pick and roll or fast break or whatever. He just wanted everyone to be comfortable in the system. It was seen as a sacrifice for Nash who played four seasons under D'Antoni's run-and-gun offense in Phoenix and had won two MVPs while doing it. Then, Kobe Bryant spoke up, 
acknowledging he could be hard to play with and asking Howard if that bothered him. Dwight Howard's answer was unclear, though he did not engage Bryant in nearly as vocal a manner as Bryant engaged him, reports at the time said. He didn't go back at Kobe, said a person who witnessed the meeting. Meeting done, the team would lose that night in Memphis. So as we get to the halfway point of the NBA season and the All-Star break, the Lakers have a record of 25-29. and 29. They're three and a half games behind Houston for the last place in the Western Conference playoffs. D'Antoni predicted that the Lakers would need to win 45 games to qualify, requiring them to finish the season 20-8. and eight. The Lakers were 3-0 in their first week back, and Bryant was named the Western Conference Player of the Week. Kobe said he was in attack mode since the All-Star break, but was reacting to the defense to determine if he should score or be a playmaker. Howard was looking better since the break, yet still said he wasn't even close to being physically where he wanted to be. D'Antoni attributed Howard not being in shape to his problems during the first half. Throughout February, the Lakers would continue to get closer to 500 on the season. They'd finished the month 9-4 and and were playing pretty good basketball. Bryant was named the Western Conference Player of the Month. By March 3rd, the Lakers had finally reached 500 for the first time since December 28th. The Lakers improved to 13-5, the fourth best record in the NBA since their team meeting in Memphis. On March 10th, Los Angeles would move a half game ahead of the Utah Jazz for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. It was the first time they owned sole possession of a top eight spot since December 1st. It was also the first time they were two games above 500 all season. At this point, we were a long way from preseason predictions of a finals with LeBron James. They were just trying to make the playoffs, and at this point, things were looking pretty good. The Lakers had been playing great basketball since the All-Star break. Dwight Howard was Dwight Howard again. He had 10 straight games with 12 or more rebounds while averaging about 15 points, 15 rebounds, and almost 3 blocks. He was a monster. During this stretch, Meta World Peace got injured and had to have surgery, which would initially placed him out for around 6 weeks, but he would return 12 days later. In his absence, D'Antoni played with the lineup. He started using a 7-man rotation, with Kobe Bryant playing close to all 48 minute every game. On April 10th, things were really coming together for the Lakers. They were playing in Portland. They were losing the game, but came back to win it. Kobe Bryant scored 47 points playing the entire game. Pau Gasol had 23 points, 7 rebounds, and 9 assists. Dwight Howard had 20 points and 10 rebounds. The Lakers' big three of Bryant, Gasol, and Howard combined for 90 points. It was their highest total of the season. They moved a full game ahead of the Utah Jazz with three games remaining. All at home, all against playoff-bound teams. Things were starting to move in the right direction for these Lakers, right before the playoffs. And if they got in, they would probably be a pretty tough out. But then, disaster struck. Chapter 3 Maybe this is how my book ends. It was April 12th, 2013. The Los Angeles Lakers were up 117 to 116 against the Golden State Warriors. There was 42 seconds left in the game. Kobe Bryant went down and clutched his right leg. He had torn his Achilles tendon, a devastating injury for any athlete. Bryant would post on social media in a midnight rant that, quote, This is all such BS. All the training and sacrifice just flew out the window with one step that I've done millions of times. The frustration is unbearable. The anger is rage. Why the heck did this happen? Makes no dang sense. Now I'm supposed to come back from this and be the same player or better at 35? How in the world am I supposed to do that? I have no clue. 
Do I have the consistent will to overcome this thing? Maybe I should just break out the rocking chair and reminisce on the career that was. Maybe this is how my book ends. Maybe Father Time has defeated me. Now, Bryant was frustrated and on social media after midnight, so you know that he didn't say heckin' dang. But you get the picture. A team that many had said would be serious title contenders were facing the San Antonio Spurs without their star. And without them, they were toast. They were swept in the first round of the playoffs. A season that had began with so much promise. A super team accumulated for the purposes of winning an NBA championship. Eliminated. It was done. Their season was over. Dwight Howard, he didn't resign with the LA Lakers. He would go to Houston for three years, then Atlanta for one, and then last season he played for the Charlotte Hornets. Just recently he was traded to the Brooklyn Nets, who bought out his contract. Next season, he'll play for the Washington Wizards. He has made one all-star team since leaving the Lakers. He is not remembered in Los Angeles in the pantheon of Mikan, Chamberlain, Abdul-Jabbar, and O'Neal. He's a cautionary tale about signing a player on a contract year. Howard has also recently addressed the famous Stan Van Gundy interview. On ESPN's The Jump in June 2018, Howard recalled that day and said it was, quote, the worst day of my life, unquote. Coach Mike Brown, who began the year as the Lakers head coach and only survived the preseason in five games, is now an assistant coach with the Golden State Warriors. He's won NBA championships in 2017 and 2018. The man who replaced him, Mike D'Antoni, would go on to coach the Lakers in the next season. They were terrible. They only won 27 games and they lost 55. He would resign at the end of the 2014 season. D'Antoni is now the head coach of the Houston Rockets, who just last season had the best record in basketball. Part of the reason the Lakers were so bad the next year was because Kobe Bryant would miss all but six games. He would have to transform how he played, but he ended up playing on some truly heinous basketball teams over the next few years. The Lakers would miss the playoffs every season since 2012-2013, finishing worst or second worst in the Western Conference three times in a row. The worst of these seasons would be in 2015-2016, a disastrous 17-65 campaign. It would also be Kobe Bryant's last season in the NBA. He would announce his retirement with a poem titled Dear Basketball that would go on to win him an Oscar. His last game would be against the Utah Jazz, surrounded by teammates looking to feed him the ball, a court decorated in his honor, and fans screaming at him to shoot. Bryant would drop 60 points. The Lakers would win by five. Have a season you'd like featured on Good Hustle? Visit us at listentogoodhustle.com. Good Hustle is created, written, and hosted by Andrew Mackey. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Mackey and on Instagram at Hello Mackey, and that's spelled M-A-C-K-E-Y. The show has an Instagram. Please feel free to give the show a follow at listen to Good Hustle.